This has been a wonderful day so far. Thank you for being here. Thank you for applauding for our wonderful panelists. The next one we have for you is Music NFTs with a stacked panel. Cooper, Ella did a producer. Matt Medved is moderating this panel. So enjoy, guys. Thank you again for being here and enjoy. GM, GM, NFT Paris, how we doing? Okay, I'm gonna need a little bit of a better reaction from that. NFT Paris, how we doing? Woo! There we go, there we go. I'm Matt Medved, co-founder, CEO, editor-in-chief of Now Media, home to NFT Now, The Gateway, Sovereignty, and more. We have an amazing panel on music NFTs with Cooper and Illida producer, I'm going to toss it over to them for some brief intros, and then we're going to dive in. So, Cooper, want to take it away? What's going on, guys? My name is Cooper, and I'm the founder of Coop Records. We're an early-stage venture fund and an on-chain record label. How you doing, everybody? I'm Illiter Producer, 12-time Platinum, Grammy-nominated music producer. I'm also the community and partnership lead at Yuga Labs. There it is. There it is. So let's, let's just dive into some of like, the red meat that's a, you know, the conversation in the space right now. Um, our, our friend Dauda Leonard uh, last month kind of caused a stir when he said music NFTs are a failure, like digital, like music digital collectibles are a failure. People only got in for the speculative gains. I know that that caused a, it kind of created a, an opportunity for a real self-reflective uh, conversation in the space on music NFTs. I was curious, like, what was your perspective on that and, uh, and, and like your kind of take on that debate? I think there was a lot of truth in it. You know, I think that people came into music NFTs expecting to see the same returns as PFPs, and that never really happened, you know? And I think there was a generation of artists that was excited about making a living on-chain, but it wasn't very sustainable after the bear market hit. And so I think that we kind of reached this point now where most songs are being sold for 2 to $5 a pop, which is very accessible to most people, but you kind of remove this idea of being able to make 100x return on a song. And I think for people in crypto, when there's not an opportunity to make 100x, it's not really exciting to them. And so I think now we're trying to figure out what is the role of an asset class like music if speculation is not the main driver of value. Yeah, I could agree with that 100%. And I think that, you know, a lot of people, like I was telling backstage, like we were just really early with music NFT. So a lot of good, a lot of bad comes with that. But as a creative, I still think there's that this is a blank canvas and there's plenty room for people to come with as many vibrant colors to, to jump into the space and paint as, as much and as crazy as they want. So I don't think that just a speculative part of the space should stop an artist from coming into the space and going crazy. But there is a lot of truth in that in that conversation. Yeah, and I'll add on. I think the evolution of the space is looking at what's the value of it beyond buying and selling it for a higher price later on. You know, and to your point about it being a blank canvas, I think there are still a lot of ways that musicians can use 
you know, on-chain technology to help advance their careers. But I think it's about looking at that beyond selling 100 limited editions for $10 a pop and instead thinking about how to really build a community and be able to provide exclusive access in a way that we haven't really seen before. 100%. You know, it always drove me to music NFTs, uh, you know, coming from Billboard Spin, you know, myself, my own DJing in, in, in the industry, was the idea of being able to create this direct link, this direct connection with fans, right? Like, you know, I always give the example, like my dad collected Beatles memorabilia, uh, rare Beatles memorabilia. And so when our friend Blau first got me into NFTs, it all clicked for me because I was like, oh, every, everybody can listen to Abbey Road, right, on Spotify. But not everyone has the signed vinyl, signed by all four Beatles, which in this case, if they were still around, could get you backstage, could get you the, the exclusive merchandise, could get you the meet and greets, the fan club type things. And I feel like there's still a lot of value in that element of, of this technology. So I'm curious, like, what is the future? future of fandom look like with Web3 technology? Yeah, I think that's the part that gets me the most excited. I know I sound like a broken record, but if Taylor Swift was to come in and do a music NFT and she offered just that level of exclusivity and access to her fans, it would break the internet. If you can buy a Taylor Swift NFT and everyone that owned that can get an exclusive song, or even get vocals for people like me who are producers. I would love that because then if I, I could do endless remixes. It's just giving people a, a, a level of access through an NFT. And I think that's what this, the power of this space really needs. I think it's challenging for a lot of artists to provide exclusive content, exclusive opportunities to fans when they're already struggling to balance so many other platforms in the world today. You know, you have them making TikToks and Instagram reels, having to promote their music on Spotify, they're having to figure out how to go to radio. And so I think the premise of getting closer to your fans through NFTs is really exciting. But I don't think we've quite seen the right format where an artist can get that benefit without having to put in a lot of extra time and effort. And I think what we saw during the bull market is that artists were willing to put in a significant amount of resources to their on-chain communities because the money was there for them to make it worthwhile. And now that that's kind of dried up and dwindled down, I think a lot of artists that were previously seeing success in the space are wondering, why would I put 10 hours a week into marketing my NFTs when I need to put that 10 hours a week into making TikToks so that I can have a career and go on tour and stream and whatnot? And so to answer your question about the future of fan clubs, I think that it's going to be a lot more about encouraging content creation, you know, encouraging your fans to make content that's helping to promote your music and using NFTs and tokens as the incentive to reward people that are making compelling content so you can both kind of achieve the same goals of going on tour and getting playlisted and all the things that I think artists really want. Yeah, I think that's a great perspective. Cooper, I know that you've been very active and a, and a vocal advocate for on-chain social media, uh, decentralized social, uh, platforms like Farcaster, Lens Protocol. I'm curious, from your perspective, what role does music play on those platforms and how can those platforms really help shape the future of, of on-chain music? I think that it's a really compelling use case to show why on-chain social is important. You know, the fact that I can post a frame on Farcaster and have people mint the song directly in a feed that shows up on SoundXYZ is very, very interesting to me. And I think more broadly, what I recognize is that currently the on-chain music world and the regular music world live in two very, very different ballparks. You know, I'm very optimistic that one day those can come together, but currently the people who are collecting music on-chain are very different from the average fan of your music song on Spotify. And so when I look to something like Farcaster, I think, okay, well, if it's crypto people here that are buying this, let's go where the crypto people are. And today they're on platforms like Farcaster, they're on platforms like Lens. And so what I've been doing is using those platforms to reach an on-chain native audience and drive mints to people who are already familiar with crypto versus having to try and explain the merits of crypto to someone who doesn't care about it in the first place. 
Really good points. Um, Illa, you're an artist yourself as well, and you, you have a number of projects in the works. I'm curious, like, as you think about all the things that go into a release, we were actually just talking about this backstage, but like, you know, a lot of people just think about the song, but you have to think about the distribution. You have to think about the marketing. You have to think about the positioning, all these things. Given your grounding in Web3, how do you think about your own releases from this is the Web3 side? What, what role does an NFT play here? What about the, 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 you know, the DSPs and the likes? I'm curious, like, how do you bridge Web2, Web3 in your own work? I think it's, that's a great question. As somebody who's an artist and, and, and as a producer, I just look at all of the, the tools that I have in front of me and I try to just build a strategy around it. Okay, I'm gonna, first thing I'm gonna do when I make the song, I'm gonna make sure I register it with DistroKid so I own that master. That's the first thing, because the master is everything. Then from there, I'm gonna decide, okay, do I wanna meet with my team and, and do a, a TikTok strategy? Do I wanna do a playlist strategy? Do I wanna go to radio? Because people think that radio is a dinosaur, but it's still like, you gotta realize that the East and the West Coast only makes up a small part of, the, of America, right? And then the middle of America still listens to radio more than anything else. So I think about all these things, and then I also, the beauty of it being in Web3 is now I have another canvas, and I'm like, okay, I can have this song that's on the radio, that is on TikTok, and then maybe I could do another version that I release as an NFT. And then people can, can live all these different versions of this one song and experience all these different versions of this one song and have ownership in the NFT that gives you different access to maybe the backstage passes if the song becomes more successful or a, a merch drop if the song becomes more successful or maybe some art that I've done with an with a amazing digital artist that has the music attached to it if the song becomes more successful. So I just look at all the different tools that I have and I just utilize them as much as possible. And I think Web3 is just another great addition to my toolbox. I love that. And I'd love to pose the same question to you, Cooper, because you, you run Coop Records, on-chain music label. You work really closely with artists like Daniel Allen, um, who have like strategies that, that straddle both Web3 and Web2 and those traditional platforms. So how do you think about it in terms of your own releases and the artists that you work with? Yeah, I would echo what he said in saying that it's very different strategies for very different worlds. You know, the way that we're marketing a song on chain is very different from the strategy we use on TikTok. But I think to your earlier question, too, about why music still has a place in this space is that music is reaching people every day in ways that most things that are on chain today currently are not. And when you look at the projects in the space that are seeing success, it's the ones that are getting in front of people and meeting them where they currently are at. And so I think for me, when we're putting a record on chain, realistically, we try not to make that artist have to you know, dive super deep down a rabbit hole to get educated about crypto, have to be really into the space, know about things like bridging, putting their work on L2. You know, we try and take care of that for them and basically just show them that, hey, if you put your music on a platform like Sound, you can make an extra $500 per release. And that $500 can be used to run a marketing campaign, to run targeting ads, to get a couple creators to post your song on TikTok. And so the way I see it is that the on-chain piece of it is really just funding the artist's opportunity to create awareness for them on other platforms. And in the event that that song is successful, they now have a little bit more budget that they can use out of their pocket. So to his point, you don't have to go and sell 50% of your master to get 10 grand to be able to go market the song on TikTok. You can actually retain ownership yourself and use the money from your community to fund your career. 
Yeah, I think that's one of the most exciting things about it is being able to have at least an alternative to some of these incredibly exploitative like major label contracts and deals that for a long time were really your only ticket to a, a mass audience. I'm curious, you know, one of the things that I know has been a, a topic of conversation at the intersection of blockchain technology and music even before NFTs is is rights management, right? And and how this technology can help with that and also potentially help with artists getting paid royalties that they deserve. What's the state of the union there? Like what are you seeing there? Like, is progress still being made on those fronts? And do, do, you, do you feel as though this technology can still make a positive impact there? I think that on-chain payment rails are extremely compelling once you get a chance to feel them. Like, once you see that someone sends $10 to a contract and it goes out to all the rights holders in real time, that was the thing that got me sold on the, the space in the first place. The reality is that there is a fraction of the catalog in the world that's on-chain currently. And most of the people that are putting their music on chain are independent artists. And so you see these major stakeholders like labels and distributors, and they're typically not really aware of what's happening from a rights holder's perspective. You know, when I work with a label or when I work with a distributor, we'll throw their address on a split. They'll make, you know, an extra thousand dollars and they'll just have it in their wallet. But then you reach this huge roadblock of like, okay, now this company has a thousand dollars in ETH when 99% of their bookkeeping has to do with just getting traditional royalties paid. And so to get them to actually care about the value that's being distributed on chain, there needs to be a significant amount of income there. And currently, we just haven't seen that level of revenue kind of merit the amount of participation from these major stakeholders. But I do think to your question, the opportunity to put payments on chain, have them happen in real time, have them be transparent is very compelling. But I just don't think that we've seen enough value flow through those rails to actually make it something that is cared about and used at scale. Uh, Illa. You know, music has played a really large role at Yuga um, in terms of the community, in terms of Ape Fest. I remember DJing the very first Ape Fest, and then you guys like leveled it up pretty significantly to Eminem and Snoop and all that. Um, tell us, like, what what do you as as the community and partnerships lead? What role does music play in a community like that? And what are what are if there's anything in the works that, that you have plans coming um, at the intersection of Yuga Labs and music? Like, love to hear it as well. Um, being uh, at the helm at, at Yuga for partnerships and, and the community is, is a powerful position it's, and it's something that's exciting to me because I get to have access to, to Gordon and Gordon's like a music thesaurus. Like the first, one of the first conversations that I had with him was about his favorite punk band. And I was like, I didn't think he knew that I knew punk music. So I sent him a Fugazi record, Waiting Room, and he's like, what do you know about this? And I'm like, Ian McKay, man, we talk about minor threat. And he's like, oh, shit. And we were up to like five in the morning sending each other punk records back and forth. And fast forward to last year at A-Fest, I was able to play the role of like the music director. And it was really interesting because I'm like, okay, let's have French Montana or Sway Lee. And, and the team, our, shout out to our team at Yuga. They're like, no, we're going to Hong Kong. I think it would be great to really lean into the culture over there and and really introduce our holders into some of the artists from that region. So that's why we got to see DJ Soda, who's a world-renowned DJ. She was like the, the headliner. And then to open, we had MC Jin, who was a legend, a hip-hop legend, but he was the first Chinese-American artist to ever sign a major deal in the U.S., signed a Rough Rider. And he's also a legend on, on rap, on um, 106 and Park, uh, Freestyle Fridays. So... And we had break dancers there. So to play and to see our community think like they were like, okay, it's not, you know, it's not Eminem, but it's not Snoop Dogg. But we still had a great time and we got introduced to these new artists. And then all of the our, our holders from APAC 
were just blown away that they got to see MC Jen and they got to see DJ Soda. So it was it was fascinating to see people be in, introduced to new music and then the fans over there get to see stars that they never thought they would see because of, of owning an, an ape NFT. So it's crazy. And for the future, I think that you're going to see a lot more interesting things like that from Yuga. And I think more broadly, too, live music is such an amazing opportunity to bring people on chain. You know, when people are coming to a concert, getting them to tap something or scan something, you see a QR code on a screen, you see a disc that you can scan. I think that live music is going to be the Trojan horse that brings millions of people on chain. And it's probably not going to look like buying something for $10 using a MetaMask wallet. It's going to be entering your phone number, getting a wallet created for you, and then claiming a free collectible from the show you just went to. Yeah, I love I love both those perspectives. You know, one of the things I love to hear, I know both of you both of you were in music and, and had grounding in music before you before you entered Web3, before you you came into this world. And I know many of you also you still have a lot of uh contacts in that in the music industry that you keep up with. Uh obviously during the bull run and all that, you know, there was that like that kind of deluge of interest, right? Like everyone's like, "How do I be a part of this? What is this?" And then of course that dies down a bit in a bear. What's the conversation like now with the more traditional music industry actors? Like, how do they view this space? How are, what's their level of understanding? And what, and where do you see the kind of connective tissue? Uh, you know, where do you see that going or evolving in the next cycle? You know, the, the honest answer there is that it's not a priority for most people in the music industry today. I think that people saw it as a space that was worth paying attention to and there was a lot of money for them to be made. And I think once that went away, I think people have looked at it really just to somewhat pay attention to it, but not really taking it seriously. You know, I think they're aware that it exists. I think they know that these platforms are happening, but I don't think they're putting resources into it. And so I'd say historically speaking... I think there's someone at every major music company that does know something about Web3 and about crypto. I think they're familiar with what's happening on it, but they're treating it more as a sandbox for like fun experiments. It's not a major initiative at the company where all of their catalog is coming on chain. It's, hey, let's do something that makes us look forward and novel. So let's launch like a metaverse, one of our biggest artists. But I think to me, the current disconnect is that these major companies try and oversell how big their launch needs to be to be impactful. When in reality, I think just the simple act of putting a song on chain alongside the release on Spotify is kind of the most important thing you can do. But to my earlier point, I think until there is a clear understanding of why this is going to add significant revenue to your bottom line or significant value to your company as a whole, I think people are just kind of waiting and sitting tight until that kind of changes. Yeah, from an artist's perspective, I think labels are like Cooper was saying they're 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 paying attention cuz they heard loud and clear that oh this space is going to come and revolutionize the music industry they don't want another Napster situation but what they saw was okay this was like a real big build up and nothing happened after that so maybe i think some of them are falling back on their laurels and getting comfortable like oh that was a nothing burger what they don't understand is there's artists like Josh Savage or Violetta who've made like six to seven figures and never had to give away their, their ownership. So that is, there's, these are artists that are still going to be shining examples to any new artist that comes into this space. And like, we're backstage and I played you one of my next singles and it's featuring Josh Savage. So Lord willing, that song gets to where we want it to get. And if we ever get on the Grammy stage with that song, the story is going to be told that this whole song got birthed in Web3. And every artist, the labels are going to be sitting in the, in the audience like, oh, shit, they're talking about that Web3 thing. And every artist is going to be sitting thinking, what's Web3? So there is a Trojan horse happening, and it's, it's bubbling right under their noses. 
And I think they might have given up too quickly on what this space means. And I think they're going to be in for a big surprise in the next two to five years. Great points. Great points. So one of the most like disruptive forces that I think is impacting every industry right now is the rise of generative AI, right? It's the reason why we at Now Media launched Sovereignty, our Web3 CMS, to help authenticate content and help combat AI misinformation. And obviously, the rise of generative AI in the music space is also causing a lot of conversations, some consternation as well from artists, label side. I'm curious, like, how are you viewing the rise of AI music? And um, like, you know, both from the label perspective, from an artist perspective and beyond i i was really scared and then i've heard some ai music and i'm like okay this is really trash <laughs> but then recently i've heard some bomb ass ai music so now i'm like okay this is super interesting that means that there's a good and a bad thing there labels are going to use that to get rid of art brand new producers that they have to sign. I don't think artists really have to worry about it yet. Maybe songwriters have to worry about it, but an artist will always have that it factor. You can't get it factor from AI. But as a tool, I think it's fascinating. As a songwriter, I can make a beat and now be like, okay, I'm gonna make a beat for Beyonce and I can write a song for Beyonce and then put it through that AI, Beyonce, the Beyonce AI and get that vocal back and then now send that song to her label, and she, when she hears it, it's my beat, and it hears, she hears a reference of her AI self, and she can see the song on what it could be, right? So I think it's, I was scared, but now I'm using it as a tool, and I think it's super fascinating. And the music is getting better from AI, so it's, we're, we're in the future, definitely, with that. Yeah, plus one to that. I'd say that crypto is the way that AI music is going to be largely monetized. You know, I firmly believe that right now we're looking for a way for people to monetize AI music. There isn't really an existing payment structure for it. And so to your earlier point about the power of, you know, on-chain payment rails, I think that's an opportunity for it. You know, and to his point about AI music getting better, you have platforms like Suno coming out that are incredibly compelling from an AI music perspective. You have companies like Kits that are making it easier to do voice training and voice models for it. So I think we're still about a year or two away from AI music making a real statement. But I think in the same way that MidJourney had this growth curve over the course of six months, now it's just undeniable. I think we will see a similar moment to that for music, but probably not for just another year or so. There it is. Well, I know we just have about a minute and a half left, so maybe as a, as a closing question, you know, in your eyes, what does the future of on-chain music look like, and what are you doing to try and bring about that future or contribute to that yourself? I think it looks extremely simple. I think it looks very easy to understand. I think it's not bogged down by you needing to know about crypto, having to pay with ETH, etc. I think it's about giving fans a more direct way to pay artists for the music that they love. I think it's reintroducing the tipping culture and blog culture that made music so successful 10 years ago. And I think it's about giving artists the tools that they need to really take control of their future. And so tangibly, I think that the music products you're going to see in the next year are going to be very, very compelling. And I think from a crypto perspective, I still firmly believe that music will be one of the fundamental industries that brings us to the mainstream. Yeah, I love that. I could, I, I definitely want to plus one that. And I feel like in the, in the future, it's going to be a lot of big established artists that, that get their masters back and then they're going to come into Web3. And I think that's going to be like the next evolution of this space, at least part of it. You know, artists like, like Taylor, NBA Youngboy, Kanye just got all his, his rights back. So big, like artists with huge catalogs 
are going to come into this space and that's going to be another layer of excitement and it's going to actually have give a lot of relevancy to this space because i think that's what's missing more than anything all right well we are out of time give it up for cooper and illa thank you guys so much